me all over the house. Joshua chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. And the word said, And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and they put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, say fear not. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all of your enemies whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. I want to preach to you this morning for a few moments a message I have simply titled, God is able. Do you believe that today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, for your spirit and your presence that we already feel in this place. We thank you, Lord, for the worship that we've been blessed by today. God, we thank you for every person that you have sent into this house today to worship you. God, they're precious to us, and we thank you that you've sent them this way today. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that you would remove every hindrance that would come against this service. Lord, I ask that you would move me out of the way. I don't want to speak my words, but let me speak your words. God, not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forth today in the power and in the demonstration of your spirit. God, I pray that you'd anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you're saying and speaking to us today. That God, no matter what, you are able. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. Thank you, Nicholas. This King James Version of this story uses a word that we don't use very often, if any, hardly at all in the English language, and that is dismayed. You don't hear people say dismayed very often. And its most literal translation means this, to be made unable, to be made unable. So Joshua was saying to his men, don't be made unable, don't fall apart, don't freak out. Even though you're facing something that looks like an impossibility. Even though you're facing great opposition, don't be afraid. God is able. Say amen somebody. God is able, but first, you have to get victory over these five kings. We're going to talk about that today because God is still able. But I believe in our lives, we have to get victory over five kings. The Lord spoke to me very uniquely this week. See, if you're going to win the battle of faith, everybody say faith. We talk about it a lot, but a lot of times we don't know what it means. If you're going to to win the battle of faith, if you're going to see your family blessed, if you're going to see your life blessed, if you're going to see your church blessed, if you're going to see God's favor, then you have to overcome five kings that will always oppose your faith. Let's talk about what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the word says, Now faith is the substance, shout substance, substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now if something has substance, like for instance, this uh, water bottle cap has substance, I can see it, I can touch it, I can feel it, I can smell it if it has any odor on it, I can taste it if I decided to chew it, and if I drop it on this podium, 
I can hear the noise that it makes. It has substance. So I want to tell you this morning that the most powerful evangelist uh, of unbelief, the greatest oppositions that you will ever face in your faith in this life that you have to overcome is your five senses. What you see, what you hear, what you touch, what you feel, and even what you smell. So I want to talk to you today about those five senses. Because see, you have to learn to put your foot on the necks of those five senses Just like these men did on the necks of these kings You have to be able to subdue them And then you have to be able to say You're not going to steal from me what God's word has already promised me Is anybody helping me this morning? So let's talk about five things here First of all, the smell of truth In Daniel chapter 3 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Everybody knows the story. When God brought them out, the Bible said that not one hair on their heads was singed or burned. And Scripture makes an interesting distinction when it says there was no smell of fire on them. None. No smell of fire. In other words, they went through a fiery situation where they should have even been burned, but not only were they not burned, they came through without even the smell of smoke on them. I don't know if that speaks to you the way it speaks to me, but Angie loves Mexican. Anybody Mexican lovers in the house? Can I see your hands? Angie loves Mexican. She could make me eat Mexican five times a week if I let her. She would eat it every single day. One thing I've noticed about Mexican is even if we get it to go, I can walk in and pay for and pick up the order, and I still smell myself when I get to the truck. Can I, can I, hear, can I get a witness this morning? Something about Mexican, if you go in there, you're you're going to smell like it. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm trying to tell you this morning that God doesn't want you to go through fiery trials to smell like them for the rest of your life. Hello. You're going to go through some fiery trials in this life. Sometimes I meet people who have been through fiery trials. I've been through fiery trials myself. But I meet people that have been through fiery trials. And every time you're around them, that's all they want to talk about. All they want to reminisce about is what they've been through. I'm thankful this morning that we got a mama sitting back there that's not talking about her fiery trial. She's talking about her baby that underwent a surgery at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, one of our middle schoolers who now has been over a hundred days seizure free. Somebody ought to praise the Lord for that this morning. Shannon could have not done that. She could have just walked around smelling like her trial for the rest of her life. See, God doesn't intend for you to go around smelling like what you've been through all the time. Maybe you were burned in a relationship. Maybe you were burned in a business deal. Maybe you were burned at church. Nobody gets hurt at church, do they? Maybe you were burned at church because somebody hurt you. And perhaps now you're judging everybody else the same way because of what you went through. But I want to tell you something this morning. If you're going to win your fight of faith, first you have to gain the victory over what you smell. See, I don't want to smell like everything that I've been through. Ministry has already taken Angie and I through a lot of Stuff. That's the best word I can use. Some of you almost put a bad word in front of me there. 
I saw the look on your face. Ministry has taken us through a lot of stuff. Can I tell you that people in ministry can take home their smell of work, the smell of their work if they're not careful? Because we deal with problems. We deal with messy issues. But I don't want to take that smell home to my wife and my children. See, you think about that. You say, what are you talking about? Imagine the Old Testament priest. Have you ever thought about what their job was? The Old Testament priest had to go in and they had to slaughter a sacrifice. Anybody like the smell of fresh blood? They had to, now some weirdo just went, mmm, like it's a good smell. Everybody else went, ugh. But they had to slaughter a sacrifice, the smell of fresh blood. Then they had to take that sacrifice after it was killed and lay it on an altar and burn it. Anybody like the smell of burning flesh? You ever seen or ever smelled flesh burn? It don't smell good. You can take the smell of ministry with you if you aren't careful. That's why I came to tell you there was something else that the priest did that was so vitally important. And that was after they slaughtered the sacrifice, after they laid it on the altar and they burned it, when they got done, the Bible teaches that then they burnt incense before the Lord. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, it's kind of like this. In another passage of Scripture, the Bible teaches that your worship goes up before the Lord as a sweet-smelling aroma. So I came to tell you this morning, that's why it's important that you worship when you get in here. Somebody says, oh, you just want me to be Pentecostal because you're Pentecostal. No, I'm wanting you to know God the way I know God. Because if you know Him the way that I know Him, You'll want to raise your hands in worship. You'll want to surrender your life to Him and give Him praise. Because you know what? When you begin to worship and you begin to praise, I don't care what your week has smelled like. I don't care what your situation may look like. I don't care what the smell of your trial may be. There begins to be a sweet aroma when you begin to worship that goes up before the Lord. And when God receives that worship, God moves. On your behalf. That's why it's so important that you worship. In John chapter 11, we read about Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days. When Jesus told them to take away the stone from the grave. What did Martha say? Martha said, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. By this time, he stinks. Because that was a statement of unbelief. See, if you read the story, Jesus had already told them that they were going to see God's glory. Before he ever told them to roll away the stone, he already told them, you're going to see God's glory. Jesus didn't care what kind of condition Lazarus was in. Jesus was suggesting to them, even if it stinks, I'm about to preach to you now, still believe. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, maybe your situation right now stinks. But I came to tell you, keep believing. Maybe your finances stink right now, but keep paying your tithes and keep believing. Maybe your children are going through a season and it seems like they can't get their act together and you feel like giving up. Maybe the marriage is falling apart. Maybe other things are happening in your life, but in spite of what you smell and in spite of what you feel, in spite of what you see and what you hear and what you taste, you have to realize that God is still able to do it exceedingly and abundantly 
above everything you could ask or think. If you're going to conquer, you have to get your foot on the sense of smell. I read a story about some children who played a trick on their grandpa. And you know I'm not one to use a lot of funny things. But I thought this was funny because first of all, I didn't know what it was. Maybe some of you folks will know what it was. It's uh, Anybody in here ever served in Germany when you were in the service? Anybody in the house? Oh, I've got a few hands. I'd say Eric will probably know what it is. But I read a story about some children who played, played a trick on their grandpa. It said their grandpa had one of those long handlebar mustaches. And he was taking a nap. And these little kids snuck in and they rubbed some Limburger cheese on his mustache. Now I read up on what Limburger cheese was. It's something some people eat in Germany, but they say it absolutely smells awful. And I don't know why anybody would want to eat something that absolutely smells awful. If I have to hold my nose to eat it, I don't think I'm interested in it, right? But it said when he woke up, he said, Whoo, this bedroom stinks. And then he walked into the kitchen and he went... Oh, this kitchen stinks too. And then it said he ran outside and he went, Oh my goodness, the whole world stinks. What are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm talking about. If you're not careful, you'll get burned enough by people that you'll begin to go around feeling like everything stinks. You'll have a stinky attitude feeling like everybody else is going to stink like this thing or that thing or this situation or that situation. No, that's not the way it is. got to overcome your sense of smell because God declared in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans never to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I came to tell somebody this morning, you might have been hurt by a situation. You might have been hurt by somebody. You might have been hurt by a circumstance. You may be hurt by a trial you're going through right now. But God said to tell you, wipe the smell away from your nose and begin to smell His Word and what His promises say and stand on the Word of God. Oh, hallelujah. We got to burn incense of praise. To change the smell of the situation. Secondly, we're going to talk about feeling. Feel free. The second key we got to get our foot on is the sense of what we feel. See, if you don't master your own feelings, you'll start to trust them more than you trust your faith. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. The heart is deceitful above all things. Can I tell you that your feelings sometimes are a true enemy of your faith? That's why I'm not a fan of people saying, Oh, I've got to follow my heart. You better not follow your heart. Your heart will lead you astray. You better follow the Lord. The Lord will never lead you astray. I thought about how the story of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Isaac had gone blind in his old age. And he was on his deathbed when his son Jacob came to him covered with goat hair on his arm with the intent to deceive him. Because you see, Jacob's brother Esau was naturally a hairy man. And he was the one that was entitled to the birthright. But Jacob came to steal the birthright. So his blind father asked when he came in with the goat hair on his arm, he said, who is it? Jacob said. Jacob responded and said, it's me, dad. It's your oldest son, Esau. I've come for my blessing from you. 
And scripture tells us that the old man reached up and he started feeling his arm, trying to determine whether it was his oldest son or not. And Isaac said, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And Isaac decided to go with his feelings rather than what he was hearing. As a result, he gave his blessing to the wrong person. Because I want to tell you something this morning. If we go by what we feel, instead of what we hear from God's word, we'll miss the truth every time. you got to learn to get past your feelings. Probably none of you are going to help me preach right here, but I'm just going to say it anyway. you got to get up and go to church even when you don't feel like it. Now, if you got the flu or the coronavirus, please stay home and watch live stream. Can I hear an amen? But otherwise, you got to learn to get up and go to church even if you don't feel like it. you got to learn to worship even though you don't feel like it. See, we got a lot of Pentecostals in the world today that are waiting on God to move them while all the while God's waiting on us to move. He said, enter His gates with thanksgiving. Come into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. you got to worship when you don't feel like worshiping. you got to sing when you don't feel like singing. you got to praise when you don't feel like praising. Because if you go by your feelings, you'll be led astray every single time. you got to get past your feelings. Why? Because your feelings are fickle. A lot of people are fickle too because they go by their feelings. Because sometimes in church, you get your feelings hurt. Sometimes in ministry, you get your feelings hurt. Sometimes in marriage, you absolutely get your feelings hurt. John Martin has done it twice. He did that at 8.45 this morning. Amen, he said. Brother, I'll pray for you this afternoon. You're probably going to get it when you get home. <laughs> Amen, he said. <laughs> we got to put our foot on the neck of our feelings. we got to say, I can't let my feelings stop me. Just because I didn't get the solo on the new song, I'm not going to quit the praise team. Just because the leadership gave this job to that person instead of to me, I'm not going to let my feelings get so hurt that I stop working for the kingdom. Because here's the reality. You're not supposed to be working for the leadership. You're supposed to be working for Jesus. Somebody say amen. we got to get victory over our feelings. In the story of Noah and the ark. Have you ever thought about the concept that there was, a, there was thousands, literally, of animals that were all thrown in together in this ark at the same time? Natural predators of one another. But yet you don't read anywhere in this book that there was a single fight that broke out on that ark. I think that is amazing. So I believe that the last command that God must have given Noah before he shut the door was this. Keep the woodpeckers above the water line. Think about that for a minute. That ark was made out of wood. Keep the woodpeckers above the water line. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, every church, every ministry... Every business, every place of employment, every school has got some woodpeckers. Hello, somebody. These are the troublemakers who always like to get below the waterline and just start peck, 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 pecking away because they're determined to try to sink the whole thing. And most often, you know why they do that? 
because they've had their feelings hurt. If I've learned anything in ministry, you know what I've learned? Hurting people hurt people. That's what they do. You got to stop the neck of you got to step on the neck of king feeling and you got to keep going. Don't give up. Number 3. You need to make a co- a covenant with your eyes. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Anybody remember that? You need to make a covenant with your eyes. First of all, you need to make a covenant that your eyes are going only going to look on holy things. Hello, somebody. Yeah, I got a few. I got a little bit of help right there. But in the Old Testament, it tells us in Second Kings chapter six. Back to the text I'm teaching about today. It's, there's really an interesting story about Elisha the prophet and his servant. You see. The king of Aram was at war with Israel. And he had it in for Elisha. And he had it in for Elisha because God kept telling to Elisha and revealing to Elisha the king's plans in advance. So at one point, Elisha and his servant found themselves in a city. They were completely surrounded by the enemy's soldiers. And Elisha sent his servant outside to assess the situation. And when he realized that they were surrounded, Elisha's servant returned almost in a panic. And he said, oh my Lord, what are we to do? And Elisha told him, he said, don't be afraid. And then he prayed over him, the Bible said. And when he prayed, here's what he said. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. When his servant went back out, he didn't just see at ground level anymore. But now he could see the armies of God. And he could see the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, our problem is the same as Elisha's servant. When we get in a battle. When we get in a situation, all we see is what's on ground level. Because uh, that we're looking at the situation and we're not looking anywhere else. But as believers, Psalms 121, 1 and 2 tells us that we're supposed to lift up our eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and in earth. So when you get a bad report, when you get a bad x-ray, when something happens in your family that pits you against an impossibility, when you're facing a difficulty that seems to be too big for you to overcome, ultimately God has already promised you victory in your life through the word of God. He's already promised you you victory. I have this past two weeks, I I keep saying this every week and I hope I stand up before you next week and tell you that it's been a normal week. But in the last two and a half weeks, I have preached four funerals, did the music for one funeral and attended two visitations that I didn't have to have a part in the service. That's a lot of funerals. That's a lot of people passing away. But you know what I began to think about? Abby's in nursing clinicals and she has a 28-year-old patient at the nursing home that was a beautiful young lady. And because of something that happened in her life, it left her. She has two or three beautiful children. And because something happened in her life, it left her as an invalid. And Abby takes care of her during her clinicals. She can't talk and communicate, but Abby can talk to her about her children And she'll just smile. Abby can talk to her about how pretty she is in the pictures that are displayed around her room. And she'll just smile. And Abby was talking about how pitiful and how sad that is. 
And that's why I said to Abby, I said, always remember this, baby girl. If you don't remember anything else that I've said, there are worse things in this world than dying for somebody that's a child of God. Did you hear me? There are worse things than dying. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm telling you, Philippians 1 and 21, Paul said this, For me to live is Christ. If I'm going to live, I'm going to work for the Lord, and I'm going to do what God's called me to do. But for me to die is gain. I haven't lost anything if I die as a believer. Can I get a witness this morning? I want to tell you, if I'm not here standing in this pulpit to preach to you next Sunday morning, if I go out into eternity... I want you to love me and I want you to miss me. I hope you do. But anyway, even after that, I want you to realize, hey, pastor's got it made. Now we better get our act together and we've got to make it. He's in a place where there is no more sickness. There is no more heartache. There is no more sorrow. There is no more pain. He's not going to have to face trials anymore. Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So if the worst thing the devil has to threaten you with is heaven, he ain't got nothing to threaten a child of God with because God has already promised us the victory in His Word. Hallelujah. So I don't know what you're seeing this morning. Are you seeing the victory or are you only seeing your enemy? Because you have to choose. Are you going to focus on the problem or are you going to focus on the promises of God? I want to tell you, God's Word is just as real as the bad report, as the storm story. God's word is just as real. I shared this one because I knew John Martin would like it. I heard about a chicken yard with a big hen house where a rooster had all of his hens laying eggs. I share this to prove a point. One day there was two little boys that were next door and they were playing football and they had just gotten a brand new White football. I don't know why they got a white football. I've seen a few of them, but that's what they got. A brand new white football. One of them accidentally kicked the football over the fence and it rolled into the chicken yard. And that rooster walked around that big white football in the chicken yard, pondering on that football. And all of a sudden, he called all the hens out. He said, hey, ladies, gather around. He said, girls, I don't mean to be negative, but here's the kind of eggs they're producing next door. Y'all need to step up your game. Why do you share that, Pastor? Because it's easy to look at somebody else's life, to look at somebody else's success, and envy what they have. And it's real easy. Nobody going to help me on this. In this modern day world of beautiful social media. Yes, that was sarcastic. To look... At somebody's fake life and their fake story and wish you had what they had. When what we should be doing is focusing on the blessings that God's already given us. And getting our foot on what we see and say, Lord, I believe what you said is true. Whose report are you going to believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. Don't let your circumstances Cheat you out of your miracle. Amen. Jensen Franklin is one of my favorite preachers. And he was preaching and telling the story. I I read about this this week. Our state overseer came down last weekend. And he preached at the Barberville Church uh, on two weekends ago on Sunday. And on Saturday, he called Angie and I. And he wanted to go to, him and Alice wanted to go to dinner with us. And so we went to dinner. We're sitting around the table at Cracker Barrel talking. And 
uh, I, I just thought about him formerly being the overseer in California, Nevada. And I was like, hey, you were Jensen Franklin's overseer. And he was like, yeah. So he began to, we talked about that, and he began to tell me the story about how that church came about. But Jensen Franklin was preaching, and he was telling his version of the story about when God gave their ministry, which is known as Free Chapel Church, based in Georgia, the vision to start holding services in Orange County, California. And here's what Pastor Jensen said. He said, when I flew out there for the first service, about 100 people showed up. When we were expecting 1,000, I was pretty discouraged. I had to start fighting what I could see. We, couldn't, we didn't feel that God was sending us to Orange County for a little thing. We really believed that he was sending us out there to reach a mighty harvest. And he said, I had to constantly fight against what I could see and what I could feel. And there were Sundays when I would preach two times in Georgia and then hop on a plane even when I didn't feel like going to California. But we knew God had told us to go, so we kept going. Remember that. He said, I'd walk in, we'd start putting out chairs, and sometimes I'd be thinking, is anybody even going to come? But he said, you can't go by what you see. You have to go by what God has told you to do. And he said after a year, think about that, after a year, almost 2,000 people were coming regularly. If I had gone by what I seen and I had gone by what I felt, I would have never continued what God had showed me to do. But because I chose to put what I could see aside and how I felt aside and stand upon what God told me to do, God has proven himself Faithful is what he said. God will do that every single time. I came to tell some of you today, even when you can't see him, he's working. Even when you can't feel him, he's working. God is able. Number four, do you hear what I hear? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Remember that part of the song? Mark chapter 4, verse 24. And he said unto them, and I'm going to stop after this first phrase. He'll probably have the whole scripture up there. But Mark 4 and 24 says, And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. I'm going to stop right there. Listen, you have to be careful what you allow to cross the bridge of your ear down into your spirit. Because if you aren't, it can contaminate your faith. In the Old Testament, there's a story about Elijah. We talked about Elisha. Now let's talk about Elijah. Where everybody in the story was saying, Recession. Everybody's saying poverty. Everybody's saying famine. Everybody's saying layoffs. And everybody's saying how bad things are. And on top of that today, everybody's saying you're probably going to get the coronavirus, right? But everybody was saying you're going to lose your job. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get sick. There's famine. There's, you're going to lose everything. You're not going to make it. But right in the middle of all of those bad reports, the prophet Elijah said in 1 Kings 18 and 41, He said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. See, I'm talking about faith this morning. See, many believers will just join in with the negative spirit world. I've known more negative Nancys and Debbie Downers in the church than I know in the world. Hello, somebody. Many believers will just join in with the negative spirit of the world. But that can't be us. we got to put our foot down on what we hear. And we've got to keep 
hearing what God's, even when we keep hearing it every day, we got to put our foot down on what we hear in the natural, but we've got to hear something different than everybody else. We've got to hear what God is saying in the Spirit. God was tuned into a different kind of frequency. When I was a kid, they used to sing a song in church that went something like this. Turn your radio on. Anybody know that one? And listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on and glory share. Turn your lights down low. Some of you young people look at me like I got six eyes. And listen to the master's radio. I can hear that bass singing. In touch with God. Turn your radio on. And I used to think, what on earth is that? What are they singing about? That's the goofiest song I've ever heard. I'll tell you what they were singing about. There comes a time when you need to tune in your spiritual frequency. And you get on. You know, if Dennis puts something else in this building on the same frequency as my mic. If Dennis or Donald or uh, whoever might be running sound on any particular day puts something else on the same frequency as my mic, you'll begin to hear what's going through. Uh, what You'll be able to hear whatever's on that frequency even though it's not going through my mic. You'll be able to hear it. But if he puts my mic on a frequency that's different from all other frequencies in the room, the only thing that you can hear through this microphone and through that frequency is what I'm saying and what I'm speaking. I'm telling you sometimes in this life, you're going to have to learn to tune out the negative Nancys and the Debbie Downers and you're going to have to learn to tune in. You may have to tune out the doctor's report. You may have to tune out what the bank account says. You may have to tune out what somebody else says about you. Man, we had an awesome men's prayer breakfast yesterday. Richie did a wonderful job. He talked about three things to about 35 men yesterday. He talked about our ego which is what we think we are. None of the men will help me. Ladies, this is your time to shout. Our ego, what we think we are. Our reputation, what other people say we are. And our character, what God knows we are. You're going to have to tune your frequency in to God's frequency so that you don't hear what everybody else has to say about it. You can hear clearly what the word of the Lord has to say about it to you. It's mind over matter. It's faith over unbelief because God's word and what he says that matters most over what everybody else says. Listen closely so you can hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I want to share a passage of scripture with you in 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'm almost done. Verses 23 and 24. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. David listened and he was victorious. Now I don't know what you're hearing this morning, but I hear a sound like marching in the mulberry trees. I hear the sound of victory coming. I hear the sound of blessing coming. I see physically what God's doing in this church and I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Some of you thought that you were just here because you chose to come here today. No, God chose to send you this way today. I hear God saying, I'm getting behold, I'm going to do a new thing. Say amen somebody. I hear the Lord saying, there's rain coming. We better get ready. I hear the Lord saying, I want to pour out my spirit. I heard the Lord say back in May of 2019, I'm just making room 
room for what I'm getting ready to do and I can physically see it in the spirit. I can hear it tuned into God's frequency. God's getting ready to do something that's going to blow your mind. So don't listen to the Debbie Downers. Don't listen to the negative Nancys. But tune your focus into God and hear what thus saith the word of the Lord and His blessing on your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. you got to get victory over your hearing so you can tune in to God's report. Somebody says, Pastor, you don't know what the bad news is that I've heard. It doesn't matter. God is able. I said it doesn't matter. God is able. Little Emma had had seizures all of her life. And some doctors around here didn't give her hope to get rid of them. But God is able. Hallelujah. I know that Arnold Fusen isn't here today because their whole family, I believe, is sick. They were better and now they're sick again. But anyway, two Sundays ago, he stood right up here. You saw Arnold come forth for prayer. I didn't even know at the time that we prayed for him that he had something they had already told him was a malignancy on his side that he had to have removed. We laid hands on him and prayed over him. He went back to the doctor and they removed it and they said, I'm not, I don't, I'm not even believing this. That looked exactly like cancer, but there is no malignancy there. What are you saying? God is able. I said God is able. No matter what you're going through. No matter what it looks like. God is able. If they'll come to the music this morning, I want to go over the last one with you. The fifth one. The taste of victory. There's a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm not going to read that scripture. Verses 38 through 42 if you want to look it up later. But it's talking about a pot of stew during a famine. And as the men in the story began to eat the stew, they discovered that it had accidentally been poisoned. And Elisha told them to put flour or meal in the pot of stew. And it saved them. I believe that that meal represented the bread of life, which is the Word of God. See, I want to encourage you this morning that whatever is poison in your life, Put some word in it. Oh, hallelujah. Whatever's poison in your life, put some word in it. Are you sick? The psalmist said he sent forth his word. And he healed them. Another passage of scripture says, By his stripes we are healed. Another passage of scripture says, are there any sick among you in James? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him anointing him with oil and the prayer of faith, which is what we're talking about, shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. That's a prayer which is the substance of what you're hoping for and the evidence of things not seen that God is going to raise him up. Whatever's poison in your life this morning, a poison relationship, put some of the word of God into it. A poisonous job, put the word of God into it. A poisonous diagnosis, put the word of God into it. And the word of God will save your life every single time. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over the house. See, faith faith places no limitations on God. And God places no limitations on faith. we got to take the bread of God's Word and put it into our poison. we got to keep getting up every day and saying I know what I hear. I know what I see. But I know what God's word says.
See, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, some of the people there attempted to put a sponge dipped in vinegar and gall on the end of a spear. And they put it up to his mouth. Vinegar and gall is very, very bitter. And I believe they did that because they wanted to see Jesus get bitter over what he had been put through. But the Bible says when they stretched that spear to him that he turned his head and he refused to partake of that sponge. And at that moment, Jesus got victory over that fifth king. See, although they had hurt him, although they had wronged him, although they had inflicted incredible pain upon him, his actions essentially said, I refuse to become bitter. So some of you in the house today might have been wronged. You might have been hurt. But in order to live victoriously in this life, you've got to put your foot on that situation that Satan intends to make you bitter. And you've got to decide, I'm going to be better instead. As I close today, you know, I, I listen to a lot of preaching. I've heard a a lot of great sermons on David and Goliath, and everybody, most everybody knows the story. One sermon that I heard focused on why David picked up five stones. And the preacher said that he proved basically that Goliath had four brothers. And he suggested that it was David's intention to wipe out Goliath's whole family. The five stones were David saying, I'm not just going to kill Goliath, but if any of his brothers want to pick a fight, bring them on. I'm going to take them out too. That's... That's, all, that's a good story. That's good preaching. Makes sense to me. I heard another man preach on the five stones, and he said, these five stones represent the letters in the name of him who would bring deliverance from the Goliath of sin. And he took one stone and said, J. And another stone and said, E. And you get the rest of it, S-U-S. You know, you could put a Hammond B3 organ with it, put Luke on it, get a Pentecostal crowd. You could have some throw-down church right there with that sermon. Makes sense to me again. But do you know why I think that David picked up four more stones than he needed? I personally think it was because he was afraid he might miss. And he had five stones. Because you see, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith. We just need faith. The Bible says if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you can speak to mountains. And they can move. Just a little bit of faith. When I think about David picking up five stones, I feel like the Lord is speaking to us saying, always remember. I believe he's saying to some of you today, always remember. I'll never send you into a battle against a great, gigantic problem where I'll only give you enough to defeat them. But every single time, I'll give you more than what you need. Hallelujah. Every single time, I'll give you more than enough. I'll give you everything you need. See, God is able. But first, you got to kill those five kings that are keeping you out of the promised land. But God's saying, I've already given you more than enough to defeat them. The question is, will you come pick up the stones? Will you come pick up the stones?
If you'll bow your heads with me all over the house today. If you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, I don't even know that I know that I know that if I went out into eternity today, I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. I don't know that I'm ready to meet the Lord. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and put it back down with nobody looking around this morning? I'm not sure that I'm where I need to be with the Lord. Would you just be honest with yourself and God and just slip your hand up and put it back down? Yes, I saw that hand. Bless you. Yes, anybody else today? Anybody else today? I don't know that I'm ready to meet the Lord. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Church, pray. Pastor, I'm not sure if I went out into eternity today that I would, that I would be ready to meet the Lord. Because I want to tell you, it's super easy how you could be ready. Anybody else that would just acknowledge that and say, I don't know that I'm ready. Should I go into eternity today? Anybody else? Now I want to ask everyone else, still with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're standing here today, first of all, let me address those that raised their hands. The Bible teaches that salvation is so simple that even a child should not err therein. All you have to do is just admit your need of a Savior. Confess your sin. Believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He gave His life for your sin on Calvary, that He was buried and rose again on the third day. Confess your sin. Ask Him to forgive you and be be the Lord of your life and then confess Him. That's what the Bible says with your mouth and believe in your heart. You shall be saved. It's that simple. So before you leave here today, please don't leave here, friend, without knowing that you're ready should you go out into eternity. I want to talk to the rest of you still with every head bowed and every eye closed and you're sitting there and you say, Pastor, I've got something in my life that I need to pick up the stones and have the faith to trust God. I just need just just faith like the grain of a mustard seed. I just need a little bit of faith in this situation. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? All over the house. Thank you. Yes, I see them all over the house today. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Yes. I just need a little bit of faith. I want to challenge you right now. I want you to look at me. I want to ask, first of all, all of our council members and our staff members to come. Because we've got some things before the Lord as a church that we need to have some faith in. And we need to believe God for us. I want all of our staff members and all of our council members to come and find a place in this altar. Now, if you raised your hand and you said, Pastor, I just need just a little grain of faith over a situation in my life. We want to pray with you. We want you to pray here. If you'll step out from your seat and you'll come and join these that are up here. If you raised your hand and said, I need some faith over a situation. Yes, thank you. All the others that raised your hand in the house, I need some faith over a situation in my life. If you'll come and find a place at this altar, we're going to gather. We're going to gather around and pray. And then if you're here and you say, I don't know that I'm ready to meet the Lord, y'all could just begin to pray if you would. I don't know that I'm ready to meet the Lord. Should I go out into eternity today? I want to invite you to come today. Find a place in this altar and pray. We're going to pray and believe God that He's going to save you today if you call upon Him. Anybody else that will, come and join us in prayer this morning. as they.